0: Tech Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English, with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 722 for the 11th of December, 2020. This week, if you are looking for the world's best photo editing program, PhotoDemon probably isn't it. Even so, it has some intriguing features and that makes it worth looking at. In short circuits, would you walk on the Amazon sidewalk? Let's consider the good features and the cautions of neighborhood mesh computing. We'll also take a quick look at Adobe Illustrator's new features for 2020, including a new version that runs on the iPad. In spare parts, only on the website, the digital divide in the United States hasn't been worsened by the pandemic, but the pandemic has worsened the effects of the digital divide. Robocalls continue to increase, but scam calls were down slightly in November. Don't expect that to continue. And 20 years ago, online sales were down, but they've been up ever since. And in this pandemic year, they're one of the few economic bright spots. The first thing you'll notice about PhotoDemon might be that you don't have to install it. Just download a zip file, unpack the executable file, and run that file. Normally, photo editors are highly complex applications that install a lot of files. But not PhotoDemon not even a help file. And that may be what you notice next. After running PhotoDemon for the first time, you'll find that the 7 megabyte executable file has become more than 52 megabytes with over 1,000 files in 165 folders. So clearly this is a somewhat unusual application. It's been around for a while though. The current version is 8.4. It's a free open source photo editor, the developer describes it as a comprehensive selection of photo editing tools in a small download. PhotoDemon runs on any Windows computer that runs Windows XP or later. The application is able to open many proprietary RAW formats As with other applications, it does not write changes to the raw files. If you open a raw file, make some changes, and save it, Photodemon will create a file with a PDI extension and save it in the same directory as the raw file. The PDI seems to be considerably larger than the raw file, approximately double the size of the raw file in a lot of cases. When I had PhotoDemon open a digital negative file from a Sony camera, it insisted on color mapping what it believed was a 32-bit high dynamic range photo. The 8.0 release was the product of more than two years of work. Subsequent point releases fixed some bugs. Tanner Helland is the guy behind the screen. Just one person, not the dozens or hundreds of developers that typically work on applications like this. Because there is just one developer, and because developers should never write the documentation for their own applications, that might explain why there is no documentation. Helen says he does accept outside contributions from coders, designers, translators, and enthusiasts, though. This may also account for the quirky interface. Take, for example, the process of adding text to an image. The text is placed on another layer so that changes made to the original image are non-destructive. Nothing unusual there. But unlike just about every other application I can think of, PhotoDemon doesn't place a cursor on the image. Instead, it creates a text bounding box the size of the full image. Placing the text involves changing the size of that text frame on the new layer Well, that part's easy enough, and it works just the way most people will expect. A hand tool moves the frame around, and the handles can be used to change the size. But how does the user add text? I started by just trying to type. Nothing happened. And it appears there are two kinds of text layers, basic and advanced. I tried both of them, and typing after adding a layer did nothing. Eventually, I tried searching for PhotoDemon instructional videos on YouTube, and I found one. Unfortunately, the spoken parts were in Dutch. I do not speak Dutch, but I watched carefully to see what the instructor did. Instead of typing on the image, the user types the text in a small box at the bottom of the screen. This is not intuitive interface design, but it works once the user knows what to expect. Much of PhotoDemon suffers from similar design that works, but is simply so unexpected that those who have used other photo editors are going to be confused. Basic text is what Photoshop users will know as point text. Advanced text is similar to Photoshop's area text. Both of the text types have two options boxes at the bottom of the screen, an area where the user types, and a section that controls common settings. Basic text offers typeface, size, color, alignment, bold, italic, underline, and strikethrough. Typical things. It's unclear, though, what measure is used for typeface size. I expected the usual setting of points, but to get the equivalent of approximately 72 points in Photoshop, Photodemon listed the size as 429-something. Advanced text adds paragraph settings, things like vertical and horizontal padding, line spacing and word wrap, letter spacing, and character rotation. Some unusual settings exist here. In addition to being able to rotate characters, adding a jitter setting randomly modifies the character spacing, and the entire block of text can be mirrored vertically or horizontally. PhotoDemon includes some surprising high-end functionality, such as the ability to wrap an image around a sphere, but it seems to omit some basic functions such as the ability to use an eyedropper tool to select a color. That's not to say that the eyedropper doesn't exist, just that so far I have not been able to find it if it does. PhotoDemon accepts third-party libraries that can add functions, but how to add these libraries isn't clear, nor is how to use third-party libraries once you've figured out how to add them. There also seems to be no lens correction function, and that can be a problem. Photographers who use well-made prime lenses, for example, Canon's 50mm F1.4 EF lens, have little need for lens corrections. But zoom lenses often have distortion that can be remedied by the processing application. The Sony RX100 V6 point-and-shoot camera that I use frequently has severe distortion at the corners and a significant vignetting problem. Applications such as Adobe's Lightroom and Camera Raw, Exposure X6, Luminar 4, and Affinity Photo all have lens correction functions, which makes that function's absence in PhotoDemon even more noticeable. So the bottom line for Photodemon is three cats. It may have a promising future, but it's a challenge to use right now. I was in San Diego more than 20 years ago, and I thought it might be worthwhile to visit Tijuana. So I took the light rail system down to San Ysidro, crossed the border, rode a bus to downtown Tijuana. Hang on, there is a point here I'm trying to make. I speak no Spanish, but English is pretty common in Tijuana. When I wandered outside the main business district to a residential area, though, I felt lost because everything was in a language I could not read. I had the same feeling wandering around inside PhotoDemon. This is an application that has both some impressive capabilities and some surprising shortcomings. The developer says he's about to start work on version 9, so I'll keep an eye on it. If you'd like additional details, you'll find them on the Photo Demon website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, if you have an Amazon smart connected device, it may soon be connecting to more than you think. And quite a few people are either infuriated, frightened, or both about it. The concept isn't new, but Amazon's involvement means it'll affect more people than ever before. Now the goal is worthy, better network connectivity. But Amazon says when enabled... Sidewalk uses a small portion of your internet bandwidth to provide services to you and your neighbors. And that sounds a lot like it bypasses the security controls you have on your Wi-Fi router, doesn't it? And everyone should know how important it is to have a modern router with strong security to keep others from piggybacking on your internet connection. That's why a lot of people feel that Amazon Sidewalk is a major overreach by a huge corporation. One reason for this concern is that although Amazon makes participation optional, the feature is turned on by default. If you don't want it, you have to figure out how to turn it off. That is precisely the opposite of what Amazon should have done. But how serious is the threat? Sidewalk is intended to fill gaps where home networks don't quite reach, and because Sidewalk depends on security cameras, smart doorbells, and things like that to provide communications, the range is quite limited. Additionally, Amazon says the device is operated at a maximum of 80 kilobits per second, and that's about the speed of a dial-up connection. Remember those? Even if somebody parks outside your home and connects to your Amazon Sidewalk, defeats three layers of security, and starts downloading porn, the connection won't last long because it's capped at 500 megabytes per month. That's about 10 minutes worth of high-definition streaming video. So, if you don't like the idea, turn it off. You can do that, and I'll explain in a moment how. But Amazon can turn it back on if they want to. And a hint here, Amazon will want to turn it back on. I say this isn't a new concept. For years, Comcast has promoted a free public Wi-Fi that takes advantage of their customers' Wi-Fi routers. Approximately one and one-half million public Comcast Wi-Fi hotspots exist now. Comcast customers can turn the feature off, but the company doesn't make information about how to do that readily available. Amazon likes to use the word security. But, of course, nothing is entirely secure. A well-maintained home Wi-Fi router with a strong passphrase is sufficiently secure for most of us. And Amazon has published a white paper that offers a lot of detail about the security. But if something can go wrong, it will. And if nothing can possibly go wrong, it still will. Microsoft, macOS, and Linux operating systems are updated repeatedly and many of the updates focus on security flaws. We all know the security for Internet of Things devices was poor to begin with. Although conditions have improved a lot, IoT is still the weakest of the weak connection links. If you have an Alexa device and you don't want to participate in Sidewalk, start by updating the Alexa app to the latest version, then sign into your Amazon account, Tap More, go to Settings, Account Settings, Amazon Sidewalk, and turn it off. Then, remember to check every now and then to see whether Amazon has turned it back on. A year ago, Adobe created a version of Photoshop for the iPad, This year, it's Illustrator's turn on the small screen. The objective was to make it possible to use full-featured applications on highly portable devices. That may be less important now that we need to avoid meetings and travel, but the expansion to other hardware also makes it possible to work with Adobe applications from an easy chair instead of from a desk. As with the first mobile version of Photoshop, The first mobile version of Illustrator does not have all the features of the desktop version, but enough features are present to make the application useful and to provide some insight into where the applications for graphic design are heading. Combining an Apple Pencil, iPad, and Illustrator makes logo, illustration, and graphic design possible wherever you are. The user interface needs to be considerably different from what's in the desktop version because of limited screen real estate and because of the need to interact with hardware and software using touch. Apple offers a keyboard for the tablet, but attaching it makes the touch screen clumsy to use. Users can also connect a Bluetooth mouse, but the keyboard and mouse are usually needed only if you have to work with a significant amount of text For Illustrator, it's best to limit interactions to just the screen using a finger or the pencil. Because Illustrator connects to Creative Cloud, 18,000 typefaces can be employed whether the user is in front of a desktop or holding a tablet. Work created on mobile devices is synchronized in the cloud, so the user can continue working on a project from any connected device. Adobe notes that the first release of Illustrator for iPad delivers core features. These are identified as the Pen Tool, Shape Builder, and Gradients. The list of capabilities will certainly expand during the coming year. Other new and improved features on the desktop are aimed primarily at professional graphic designers and involve color palettes, improved methods to modify colors in an image, precision type modifications, and better support for sharing components and documents. You won't find any new features in spare parts, but you can head over to the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. The digital divide in the United States has not been worsened by the pandemic, but the pandemic has worsened the effects of the digital divide. Robocalls continue to increase. Scam calls were down slightly in November, though, but don't expect that to continue. And 20 years ago, online sales were down a bit, but they've been up ever since. And in this pandemic year, they're one of the few economic bright spots. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide